0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. So, Mike, we're sitting at your house right now. We're in the sheep room. And you also have a goat room.
1: What other rooms do you have? Is that is that just it? Well, no. I've got uh, got the office, which uh, has European mounts, and I have the uh, master bedroom that has pretty much everything else. Uh huh. And I'm probably the only person you'll ever meet whose master bath has two moose, oh three elk, and three deer. <laughs> you're gonna have to show me that before we leave, if you, if you're okay with
0: that. Um, So, Mike, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Clearly, by even just what you stated with your multiple trophy rooms, you're you're a seriously established hunter. Um, I got to see your map with all of your pins and all of the different wildernesses you've hunted and areas you've hunted across the planet. Talk about a dream of a lifetime of hunts. How did you... What drove you to, I guess, getting
1: into all of that? Well, I've always, my heroes have always been adventurers. Uh huh. So, you know, the Marco Polos, the Lewis and Clark, the Boone and Crockett. I mean, it, that fascinated me my entire life. So, wilderness adventure seemed like a natural hobby, and uh-huh. wilderness adventure and hunting go together hand in hand. Absolutely. So, <laughs>
0: i I just it's funny just sitting here talking. I wish that uh everybody that's listening could see everything that's surrounding me right now because like I'm in the epitome of like only what I could dream of as far as you know successful you know harvested animals. Um, you also work with the Wild Sheep Foundation, yes, so I do. why don't you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Okay, well, there's there's two parts. Uh, of course, the Wild Sheep Foundation, which uh, originally was a national or basically North American organization, mm-hmm. but it's now a global organization. Mm-hmm. And then we have a chapter here in California called the California Chapter, California Wild Sheep Foundation Chapter. Yeah, and I'm active in both. I've been a member of the Sheep Foundation since I think '81. I'm not hundred percent sure. I got the year exactly right. Yeah, But I moved to Montana that year, and I believe that's the year I joined. I've been on the board of directors of the Sheep Foundation. Uh, I, I was secretary of the foundation uh, you know, for a period of time. And then uh, I helped found the California chapter in 2002. Oh, wow. And I've been president, secretary, vice president. I'm currently vice president of operations.
0: Extremely active. Very with inside of it. Very How great is that? So why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody kind of who you are, where you're from, you know, give a breakdown.
1: Well, my name is Mike Burrell. I'm a, I'm a farm kid from Iowa. Um, consider myself, uh, uh, you know, a student of, of business and a, and a passion. I certainly have a passion for alpine hunting. Anything involved in wilderness and new places, new cultures. Uh, I worked for others for a very significant part of my career and liked that. I liked managing businesses and then started my own business in 2002. And turns out I like that even better.
0: (laughs) Going from the role reversal of having a boss to answer to and becoming your own boss to answer to... What was that transition like?
1: Well, the, I have a consulting practice. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and while I started as a one-person show, I now have uh, eight partners. There's 101 people full-time uh, working there. Um, and, but I don't need to ask a boss or a board if I want to take time off. So I like that. The, the two things that really make it work for me are the intellectual stimulation of helping you know, multiple businesses at any one time and the freedom to take a vacation when I want to take it, where I want to take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, having my, my last uh, corporate assignment was uh, reporting to a Japanese company and they did not understand a trip to Tajikistan for <laughs> three weeks.
0: It was that, uh, what were you hunting on that trip? Marco Polo. Really? So you went out there for three weeks to hunt, and it's that one that's right there? How, what's the length of those horns?
1: 61 and a half. Really? My God. I'm pretty sure I could go back every year for 10 years. I probably wouldn't get a better one.
0: Really? It's so gorgeous. I mean, it's, for me and, you know anybody who's known me for a long time. My dream, one of my biggest bucket list dream hunts, is a Marco Polo and two ibex, and it's, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's, you know, like you said, you were at eighteen thousand five hundred feet. Maybe it's that that draws me to. I don't know what it is that draws me to that area to hunt. But no, they're they're
1: magnificent, magnificent sheep, and there's a lot of them.
0: Yeah. Well, there's like herds, right? Oh, yeah. Enormous herds of them. Yeah. Because I've seen videos where it's just, it looks like hundreds at least, you know.
1: So, how did you decide to get into sheep hunting? Well, I've always liked hunting. And uh, I, in Iowa, where I grew up, uh, while it's a good state for deer and turkey now, if we saw a deer track... We, when I was a kid, we'd call the neighbors to show them the track. Really? It was that rare. So,
0: do you think that the growth to where it's at nowadays, is that a direct result of wildlife management? or
1: Wildlife management and, you know, hunter dollars uh, supporting it. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway, it's a great success story on a lot of species. But I started really with upland, you know, pheasants squirrels, rabbits, and I like that. And uh, and then I you know, graduated, went after I'd graduated college. I hunted deer for the first time. Well, that was pretty easy to like. And, uh, you know, and it just kind of goes from there, I guess.
0: Right. So, like for me, hunting is kind of, I don't want to say it's a disease, but it's just like I, I just have to continue doing it. Is that what sheep hunting kind of like... And is in a general sense, is that how it happened for you? You did it once, and it was like, "Oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever done. I got to do it again."
1: I think it was Jack O'Connor said that uh, that once you go sheep if you go sheep hunting the first time, you will either fall completely passionately in love with it, mm-hmm. or you will decide you never want to be caught in that kind of country again, ever. Yeah, and uh, For, you know, for the people, for me, and for a lot of friends that I have that are similar, uh, we fell in love with it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that reminds me, too, of uh, that video Kuyu just put out Mm. a little bit ago, where Jason's talking and he says, Three days. It'll only take you three days to decide if you're a sheep hunter or not. And it's, to me, that makes so much sense. And in my heart of hearts... I desire that. Those first three days, I desire more than anything on the planet. Because to be put through, a, I guess, whatever that is, is exactly what I
1: want out of every hunt that I go on. Well, I mean, they're magnificent animals in picturesque, magnificent country, and they're physically challenging. Mm-hmm. So. It's a nice combination.
0: So you've had the opportunity to hunt all species of North American sheep. What's been your favorite sheep to hunt in North America?
1: Well, I, I mean, I've certainly enjoyed every single one of them. I would say I've got a probable, a possible and a probable here. <laughs> my, my possible would be the Rocky. And the Rocky was the first one I really wanted. Um, I ended up going on three hunts before I got one, mm-hmm. and uh, and so the satisfaction of having one after you've tried and failed multiple times was pretty high. But the the probable best is the uh, is the stone sheep, uh, which I got on the the last day. Mm-hmm. In you know, and it's a magnificent animal. Yeah. Um, In the most picturesque sheep country I have seen anywhere, (laughs) Uh, I loved it when I was there. But since I've since seen a lot of sheep country, and I've never seen anything as beautiful as Northern British Columbia. Really? It's just, oh, it's just stunning. There's a fair bit of water. The mountains are beautiful. There's trees and grass. How long had that hunt been? You got a
0: fourteen-day hunt, and you tagged on your last day. Mm -hmm. What was the mental? process for you in that hunt did you was there ever a point not where you were going to give up but where it was extremely difficult mentally or challenging
1: because it was day in and day out of uh, yeah i mean the, the the idea of giving up was never yeah i never thought about that <laughs> and actually i i had uh, i'd injured a finger <laughs> and uh on the hunt be, t- before the hunt oh okay and my middle, my middle finger was completely purple, throbbing constantly, hurt like hell. And we were we, we seriously contemplated cutting it off, just to get it to get it past it. But yeah. uh, but I had that going on, and we you know it didn't slow us down. We did whatever we had to do. And...
0: I mean, it's not your trigger finger, so you're kind that's of that's right. Like... Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: But uh, we moved camp. We we'd hunted really hard, and uh, and we'd moved camp, and and uh, after we moved camp, I can still I can still see uh, Frank Simpson and Padgett Bradford were my two guides, and um, <laughs> we're glassing, and we see these four rams, and I can still hear Frank go, oh my God, I just had a sheep orgasm. <laughs> and uh, and we're, and all four of these rams were good. Yeah. But one was exceptional. Really? And that's the one that's, that's right there. Yeah. Man. And we had and of course there's never a direct route to it. You know, so we had to bail off the backside of the mountain we were on, mm-hmm. go around to get the backside of the mountain they were on, come over the top and then hope to find them. And we couldn't find them right away. Really? Uh, but we finally we finally did. And, uh, and all I could see was that, you know, kind of the top, this part of it, the head and maybe this much of the back. Yeah. And it was just over a little rim and, and literally, you know, two steps and he was, he could be gone and I'd never see him again. Yeah. And I, I, I got within 90 yards, but he's, he's no, there's no shot. And I'm, I'm prone, sitting there watching, and both Frank and Padgett are, are ten yards behind me. Uh, and, and three hours, three hours, I waited for it to stand up. Really? And, and you start thinking about, you know, everything. And I started to think about what are they thinking about. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, they're thinking if he blows this, we're not going to take him off the mountain. We are going to gut him and leave him here. And uh, and uh, you know, your eyes water. But but he stood up. I shot. He went out of sight. And and then two seconds later, he came into sight and did a back and and that was he was dead.
0: Wow. And uh,
1: that was a big celebration.
0: I bet. So. How nervous were you when you guys backed off the backside of the mountain and went all the way around, and then came out and were having a difficult time finding them? How nervous were? You? I guess probably was everybody in that situation.
1: Yeah, it, I'm t- it was very physical, and uh, and I, I don't think I was concentrating on my nerves, although I certainly had some. Yeah. When I usually feel the nerves worst is after the shot. Really? Yeah, the adrenaline is just goes crazy. But anyway, I re- what I remember is the exertion of trying to do it all reasonably fast, but there was no fast way to do it. <laughs> you just had to you just had to keep climbing and right? And then when you get to the top and you can't find them, you think, "Oh, no, you know, they wonder if we will."
0: Yeah. So how does it feel having had successfully completed you know what everybody is what a lot of people are ultimately chasing in North America and getting your North American Grand Slam
1: Andy the the a grand slam was the ver, the first real milestone hunting goal I ever ever made for myself mm-hmm. otherwise I was pretty happy just hunting what I could opportunistically, where I could draw a tag, or, mm-hmm. or what was possible. But uh, after I got my first sheet, I realized I really wanted to get a, I wanted to get them all. Yeah. I wanted to get a grand slam. And, and I gotta tell you, it was, uh, it was very satisfying. And, uh, and and I also was, was hopeful that I might be among the first 1,000 people in history to do it. Mm-hmm. I ended up being one thousand twenty. Oh, really? Yeah. So I didn't quite make sub one thousand, but but uh, no, I'm very proud of
0: that. So how long ago was one thousand
1: broke? Oh, um, well, I got I completed my slam in two thousand two. Okay. And uh, so we're talking somewhere in the nineties, maybe. Oh my gosh, no, because. It's sheep hunting has gotten a a lot more popular in the last, you know, since, you know, kind of since from 2000 on it's become more popular. So they, the, the number 1000 would have happened in 2001 probably. Oh really? Oh yeah. Oh wow. And now they're over 2000.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. Just continues
1: to grow and grow and grow. And then of course you, you know, then you think, well, hmm, maybe I could do a world slam. Is that what you're chasing now? Uh, I completed that are you oh you so you've completed a world slam and, yeah, in two thousand and seven I completed the the uh, Camper slam and in two thousand and eight I completed the the Ova slam yeah. holy smokes I mean that's
0: an investment of time and energy and effort and it was, it was a lot of fun yeah, I couldn't even imagine <laughs> that's so you're basically like a legend of hunting. No. Yeah. Yeah, but there's... Secretly,
1: maybe, humbly, yes. There's a... Definitely. There's not a very big fraternity of people that are crazy about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, my estimate is there's a couple hundred. Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. But I we all know each other. Yeah. So it's fun. And... uh and the, uh, the sheep show, the convention of the Sheep Foundation is the place to see everybody, and that's a hoot. Yeah, yeah, I've
0: been to the Wild Sheep Show in Reno twice. And my first year I was only there for a day. This last year I got in Wednesday and left Sunday. And I can say both times of going to that show has been some of the best experiences and moments that I've gotten to have in my life have been inside that arena. Uh, And I couldn't even describe what it is about the magic there, but there is magic there. There is. There There really is. is. Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll go further along. Um, In your slam, did you end up... Getting any uh, auction tax, governor tax. I,
1: no, I've, I've never never purchased a governor's tag. I mean, that would be a dream, actually. But yeah. no. Uh, I did win in a raffle. Okay. My sheep, my stone sheep. Really? I, I got that tag in the Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society raffle. How cool is that? Mom. Yeah. yeah. Go, go ahead. No.
0: Cool. One of my most heartbreaking moments. So I went to the California Wild Sheep Association dinner last year. Okay. I went this year as well, but last year I went and they were doing one of the giveaway raffles. I think they were doing like three different sheep last year. And you know, spun the raffle tickets, pulled out someone's number. They called the guy's name three times. And the guy who was on the microphone, you know, said, "All right, you know, grab me another ticket." And then called out the first number a fourth time. And some guy in the back room, half ecstatic, was like, Yeah, I got it. Oh, and then they handed. And the second number was yours? And they handed the guy the next raffle ticket, and it was mine. Oh, geez. And I got a bottle of wine, which I keep on my. I keep over my fireplace on my mantle. It's like, Yeah,
1: cool. That's how close. Well, we, we do keep track of. We call them alternates. Yeah. Because if something happens and the person can't go on the hunt, we don't want to give it up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, hey, maybe I'll get a phone call. But... It happens. That was uh, one of the most... You know, I keep that up there because that was... There's no better reminder of of how easily a raffle can be changed in one second. You know? That's right. And... I, I I love putting in for sheep raffles. I mean, that's how I'm
1: anticipating that I'll get on one of my first it, sheep hunts. For it's sheep. actually the best odds. Yeah, really. Yeah, they're better than any of the state draws. Yeah, that's right. All day,
0: all day long, and not only that, but all the money that is raised from you know majority of all of those draws is going directly back into conservation right. and wildlife management. You can't you can't beat that at all. Agreed. Um, do you feel that sheep hunting has changed you, like in, in your drive and in everyday life and in work and in...
1: It's, it's uh, the simple answer is yes, <laughs> and you may want to ask Roz, but uh, um, I've got a passion for it, yeah, without a doubt, and not just the hunting of it, but making sure that we continue to have sheep on the mountains and, yeah. and thriving populations, That that's important to me. Um,
0: Something that I really like, you know, and you're saying putting sheep back on the mountain, is at Wild Sheep Foundation, they do a huge uh, screen behind the main stage. And it was at $5,000, you can put a sheep back on the mountain. And it's really neat to look up there and see the amount of people that are willing and dedicated enough to put forward money to put sheep back on the mountain. You know, and, and it's... The, I just,
1: yeah. I really like that. It's a really neat concept. The people that, uh, that are members of the Sheep Foundation go to that, that uh, sheep show uh, are some of the nicest, most generous mm-hmm. people you'll ever meet.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the things that also blew me away, and I can't remember if it was Wednesday night or Thursday night's dinner, but it was started out at the gate with a $500,000 anonymous donation check. Mm. And to get to watch that happen for wildlife conservation and management It's very cool.
1: You know, but like, where else does that happen? They've, uh, Sheep Foundation is, uh, is now over $130 million mm-hmm. raised and put into sheep conservation. Wow. Yeah. That's so crazy. It's impressive.
0: It is. It seriously
1: is. So, would you have any advice
0: for anybody who might want to get into sheep hunting?
1: Well, I would certainly suggest you apply for every tag that you can apply for. I mean, mm-hmm. systematically. Be methodical about it. And get in the raffles. Mm-hmm. Pretty much every, uh, you know, every chapter has a raffle. The, of course, Sheep Foundation has raffles. Grand Slam Club Office has raffles. And uh, it make just makes sense to, to get into them. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, probably should think long and hard before you put down a big chunk of money on buying a tag. Um, the, <laughs> it's a true story. Uh, I was going to go on my first sheep hunt and I uh, had a good friend who said, who, who said, you know, do you want some advice? I said, well, you know, sure. sure. What do you got? He goes, don't go. I said what? I've been dreaming about this. I'm, you know, don't. What do you mean, don't go? He said, "You go on this. You are gonna, you're gonna get hooked. You're gonna fall in love with it. You're gonna develop a passion for it. You'll never be able to justify the money you spend, the time you put <laughs> in. If you don't go, you'll be better off." And I would say that that was really good advice. I didn't listen to it, and I'm glad I didn't. But I have to say, it was pretty good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know now you've completed a world slam, but no regrets. I, it, it's it's the it's a really good incentive to stay physically fit, and uh, it's exciting to see new areas. And, yeah, so I'm happy. Is there any other animals that you
0: love to hunt besides sheep?
1: Well, goats. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I need to get an elk this year because the freezer is getting a little low. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't found any hunting I don't like, but I'm, I'm particularly passionate about this. Mule deer would probably be the next thing on my, you know, that I... Obsession list? Well, yeah, and I, w- I wouldn't say I'm obsessed, yeah. but I probably could be pretty easy.
0: Yeah, and what's your biggest mule deer you've ever killed? Oh, it's, it's
1: upstairs. I, it's probably a, you know, 185. Uh, Beautiful buck.
0: Yeah, nice buck. That's awesome. That's so awesome. So, let's dive into the Wild Sheep Foundation. And you kind of gave um, a list of different positions that you've held. You've been active and involved in it since roughly 1981. Well, I was just a member when I first joined. That's Yeah, but that's still being involved. Yeah. Uh, so, what has that progression been
1: like for you? Uh, um, hmm. Well, I... I've got, ai mean, obviously I've got this passion for, for wild sheep, but I've also, you know, just have a passion for hunting. And I've been involved in, in different organizations, you know, in addition to the Sheep Foundation. But the Sheep Foundation is, is the one that's been, you know, kind of a, a constant for me that, that I just, I wouldn't miss a sheep show. I wouldn't miss an opportunity to, to do stuff for sheep or to help the Sheep Foundation. Um... I uh, well, you know, I mean, you do, you just do whatever you're asked to do. I I was, I was asked, gosh, some time back, um, long before I was a board member, to meet with the board and and help them, uh, help them develop a strategic plan. So you know, that's right in line with the, my consulting work. So mm-hmm. I did that, and that was fun, and that probably gave me a little extra exposure to. To the you know the folks on the board and the and the president, and uh, and then there was an opportunity to uh, you know to run for the board. I did that, and I was elected. and so you know, it just keeps going from there. Yeah, yeah, it's all good fun. That's amazing.
0: Is it? Uh, I, I've been involved in a number of different nonprofits, and you know, and revolving committees, and you know. Yeah. Every year it changes, the seats all change and everything like that. Um, and I know for me that really just kind of helped me get to know it a whole lot better, mm. you know, and understand the workings of it. Would you say that's been the same experience At-
1: for you? And- Absolutely. And I made a decision, um, it w- would have been 2002 for sure is where I really formalized it, but I actually started it before then. But I made a decision that that I could and would put 30% of my time into wildlife conservation issues and and man uh, I've done that and there were times when I split that between the Sheep Foundation and Safari Club or mm-hmm. other things but uh, but the Sheep Foundation and Cal Wild sheep gets gets the majority of that now and that works for me uh, now. Every organization wants more, <laughs> but my answer is, you know what, thirty percent's enough. Yeah, you know. And uh, well, not only that, but you know, in my experience,
0: especially when you're working with volunteers, it it really comes down to you know, ten percent do ninety percent. I'm not saying that that's yeah, no, the no, exact that's, that's the that's, exact same case, but yeah, you maybe. know, experience shows throughout history that you know. Ten yeah, percent of the people do ninety percent of the work, and putting four thirty percent of your life and your effort and your energy into a into a cause is pretty
1: amazing. It uh, it works for me, and my my partners all are know about it, and they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. But I I don't slack off on what I need to do in the yeah. work either.
0: Now, this would be more of a California related question, and and okay. quasi work related. I'm sure that you don't work with a bunch of hunters or partnered with a bunch of hunters. And maybe you are, though. You're not. So, when you first started doing, or I guess when you started your company and explained to people, hey, 30% of my life is dedicated to wild sheep conservation because I'm a sheep hunter, was that weird for them to understand? Some.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you get all kinds of reactions so especially in California. Well, in California, but, but now out of my uh, eight partners, none of them I'm the only one in California. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so we're spread all over the place. Yeah.
0: Sounds like it.
1: The, uh, and, uh, and, and there's a few of them were, you know, hey, that's cool. You know, sounds like a good plan and all that. And then uh, others were saying, well, geez, what if you put a hundred percent of your time into the company? Wouldn't you know, wouldn't we grow faster? <laughs> well, maybe more, more, maybe. more. <laughs> everybody's okay with it. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm so far, at least, knock on wood, I've been able to keep up both ends with yeah. without any trouble.
0: Yeah. So you were also talking about, as far as conservation, wildlife management goes, um, the enormous amount of money that Wild Sheep Foundation has rose for wild sheep conservation. Um, how much do you think, what was the number? That you, 130, they passed
1: 130 million.
0: So $130 million that is dumped back into the wild sheep populations of North America. How do you think that's
1: affected? Well, some of that goes internationally.
0: Okay, okay. Um, how do you think that that has affected the herds of sheep across, I mean, <laughs> Well, it's so a, it's across a great, the planet. It's
1: a great question. So here's here's the statistics. Uh, in the basically seventy years ago, mm-hmm. in the fifties, the estimate was twenty five thousand sheep, wild sheep, in all of North America, from Alaska through the provinces to Mexico. Twenty five thousand. Today there's over two hundred thousand. Wow! And the number's growing. Yeah. So I would say that that's about as good a statistic for the benefit yeah. of what we're trying to do. I mean, that's remarkable. Add, it is. You know? And, uh, most of us tend to think about wild turkeys and how you know, they've become plentiful. And, yeah. And if you live in the Midwest or the East or the South, you, you talk about white-tailed deer because they've become so plentiful. But uh, the, the sheep's success story is, is pretty amazing. Well, and it's so amazing, too, talking about conservation
0: and wildlife management, that you get into one of the largest reasons in California that we have an enormous and healthy and bountiful uh, bird population is because of wildlife conservation and management and the funds raised by California Waterfowl Association. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you, you get into, you know, the tule elk and us actually having tule elk herds across the state of California.
1: Another big success story. You
0: know, another really big success story. And then obviously you get into the sheep. It's so interesting to look at it, I guess what my biggest question from the facts benefiting hunters as, you know, stewards of the land. Mm-hmm. Where is it getting lost in translation? That it's not hunters that are being the stewards of the land,
1: and and uh, I absolutely agree with you. And I wish I, I wish I completely understood that. Yeah. But it, I've talked to lots and lots of folks, and I and mostly it's very difficult for non-hunters, and particularly people that have have been that are you know more than second or third generation urban mm-hmm. city. You know, living in the city, they they just can't quite grasp that a hunter who kills an animal is a conservationist (laughs) who wants to wants to help those animals thrive. Yeah. Yet you and I know, and everyone else who probably is going to listen to this podcast know that my God, if it wasn't for hunters, it's really the number one conservation tool, and we're willing to put our money where our mouth is and our time and energy. Uh, but we're not doing a very good job of, of helping the, popula- the the general population realize that. And I'd and I, I add to that that I don't even, I, I cease to want to try to convert a real anti. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, you know, they're 10%, maybe 10% of the population. I think it's less than that. And but... I, don't think, I don't think you're ever going to convert them. But I think there's a whole huge chunk, at least two thirds of the population, that are in the middle. They're agnostic. They're not against it. They're not for it. They don't know. Yeah. If I can influence them, that's what I want to do.
0: Well, I and mean, in hunter's education, that's something that gets taught is
1: yeah. those
0: are the people that we need to be worried about. Those are the people that. Um, we don't have
1: enough votes ourselves. Yeah. To swing a ballot box. Yeah. We've got to find a way to influence others.
0: Well, no, and I'll kind of segue and I. Ramble about this a little bit. Um, you know, there's people that are in discussion about the grip and grin and the the problem with having the grip and grin, the traditional photo with your. You know, <laughs> I wasn't sure what you meant at yeah, Grip and grin, okay. right? But the photo of of a hunter with their animal that they've harvested or killed and uh, smiling behind it. You know, you and I both know as hunters what that is about, and the smile that is behind that, uh, reflecting the energy, the effort, the 14 days put on a mountain of, you know, then having to back off, maybe lose the animal, go all the way around and sit on top of an animal for three hours before (laughs) inevitably either getting the opportunity or not getting the
1: opportunity. And... uh, It was going to be quite an experience whether I got the shot or didn't. You know what I mean? I'm sure glad I got it. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Could you imagine 14 days having that and then not, and then it never stood up and just disappeared? Yeah, I, th- I think I can imagine that. You actually. know, <laughs> I'm sure that would have been terrible. But you know, so we know everything that goes into the emotion that we're feeling in that moment that the photograph is taken. And it used to be that usually only people would see those photographs in magazines with an entire story encapsulating the emotion. And now it's social media, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's all of these different avenues of people that aren't um, necessarily maybe putting the correct story with whatever it is that they've achieved. And everything's kind of getting lost and muddied. And, you know, there's so many problems. So a lot of people are trying to say that, we need to get rid of the grip and grin. The grip and grin is bad news for hunters. And in my opinion, I don't think that that's the case. I think maybe as hunters, we could do a better job
1: as representatives of... I think we have to put it in perspective. Yeah. So, so I don't suspect we're gonna get rid of that. But <laughs> the fact is that we eat what we hunt, at least I, I think it'd be a very tiny part of hunters who don't take advantage of the of the meat. Yeah. And, uh, no, and, and, that, and making that part of the equation and, you know, and, you know, hiring local folks to help you out, uh, etc, you really make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I think we've got to, it, it's just got to, we've got to put it in the perspective of there's more to it than, uh, trophy hunting, for example, has got this bad, somewhat bad name because it. It creates the perception that you're just out there to get the head. Well, which that's, that's not the case. That's not the case, and that's not legal. That's right. I can tell you that I've got sheep in my freezer right now, and we enjoyed some just uh, night before last. And it's great. Still got some milk, still got some meal there.
0: My buddy Jake Franklin brought me some uh, sheep off of a ram off of a California desert. Mm. And uh, it was jerky okay and I had it and I was like how could you make jerky and I get it you know make whatever you want with it it's your animal you know but it was just ram is it's it was really good the jerky that I had was phenomenal
1: if if, well I I haven't met any game I don't like but (laughs) but sheep's Sheep's really the best. Yeah, you know, I'd say it's even a little better than elk or moose. And yeah. elk and moose tend to be kind of on the top of most lists. Yeah,
0: one thing that uh, so I do I prepare deer a certain way, and I cook the entire hind leg hmm. at once. But the way that I do it is uh, kind of like shawarma, where I, I, shawarma, I sear it like you have a big thing and you just sear the meat off the sides. Oh, okay, right. So oh, I know what you mean. Okay. Right? So what I do is I take an entire venison hind quarter or venison leg, right? Back leg. And I braise it, sear it, braise the back side, flip it. I'm searing that side while I'm shaving off slivers of the top side, you know, quarter okay. inch thick steaks. I really want to do that with a ram leg, so I'm mm. like I'm pushing I'm pushing some buddies of mine that on their next sheep hunt save those Save those ram
1: legs, right. so we could try that, but that I mean I couldn't even the the, the, the key, in my opinion with the game it, the absolute key is how clean and you know how much, how well you take care of it mm-hmm. in the field yeah. that's huge, but then when it comes to cooking it, well done is or excuse me medium rare is more than more than necessary to be done enough yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, well done is too done.
0: Well done doesn't work. Right, right, and medium rare, which is what I like. So that that leg that I'm talking about, you have an eighth of an inch that's seared, mm. and underneath is still as rare as it gets. Yeah. So you're eating. It's it's like one. I'll let you know if I'm gonna do one. Okay, it, and you cool. come down and try it. It's it's. You could, wouldn't have to twist my arm too hard, I don't. Right? Think. It's a, it's a, it's an experience, definitely. Um. So we talked about the the positive effects of money getting put back into putting sheep all over the planet um, and growing the herd enormously. Um, the different sheep herds. Um, what else do the funds?
1: Go to. Uh, though there's a significant amount of money been invested for quite a long time now in uh, disease research, mm-hmm. because literally disease, particularly pneumonia, is is the number one cause of of sheep problems, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and we know that that the primary transmission of this is uh, contact with domestic sheep and goats so we have to do everything we can to, to minimize contact etc but uh, but there's a lot of work going on to try to figure out is there is there a way to vaccinate domestic sheep so that they can't pass it along is there is there some way to to uh, immunize, wild sheep, you know, somehow. head them with darts from a helicopter. And, uh, or... Anyway, th- there's been a lot of really good work. It's not figured out yet. Yeah. But, but I'm glad that there's a good bit of work going on there. Yeah. And then there's a, a, a fair bit of money goes into uh, uh, captures, collars, population surveys, you know, really trying to understand the animals, uh, you know, so that they can be managed better.
0: Well, and that kind of segues into, you know, talking about California and California Mm. sheep. Um, This year was kind of a big year. I mean, we got to open up a whole new range in California Mm -hmm. for sheep.
1: At the same time, we lost a range. Well, well, let let me put some of that into perspective. So, no question, this uh, disease presence of the San gargonios is a very very sad thing we still don't really know how that got started mm-hmm. uh, whether it was domestic sheep we, we suspect it was but we don't know that for sure yet but the San Gorgonio herd is you know is a really a really good one and, and so it's always troublesome when you see that but, however uh, if you if you look in total, we had 19 sheep tags last year. Even without the San Gorgonios, we're gonna have 29 sheep tags. Well, so sheep tags went up. That was
0: also something I wanted to go well, into. Well,
1: and, and 29 will be the most we've ever had. And uh, when fairly early in in cal in the California Wild Sheep Foundation, when we were, you know, started, really we're starting up, we're getting involved, we're trying to understand things, we had a program uh, we called Drive to 35. And we wanted to take the dozen tags, and we thought it was absolutely possible to get it to 35 and beyond uh, tags. Well, you know, we we fell off track a little bit in uh, in recent years, but now we're back on track, and 29 will be the most tags we've ever had. Now we're still going to have Rams, old Rams dying of old age in every unit there is, Yeah. because we're very conservative. We being the California Department of Wildlife are very conservative with with tag quotas, um, but it you know, it's going to be a lot better this year, and it will will continue to get better. The um, this Newberry Rodman Ords is the new unit, and uh, and it's a very exciting you know it's a good good spot borders of Cady's, uh, uh, it' it's just an exciting place, and and actually you. Can probably thank Cal Wild Sheep because we've been pushing the department forever to to survey new areas. Mm-hmm. In fact, we've we've paid for surveys. So the whites, we didn't used to have a, a hunt unit in the White Mountains. Yeah. We we paid for surveys, we've we pushed to get surveys. We have a hunt unit in the Whites now. Mm-hmm. And then we did the same thing with the Cadies Well, we got a hunt unit in the Cadies and it's a really good unit. Now we've got the Newberries. Uh, and, uh, and we're working on this on the San Gabriel's and we had a, a count in the no pause and there's a good bit of sheep there. There's, there's a lot of opportunity to add to our tags. And it sounds like it's getting better. It is getting, absolutely getting better. Yeah. Absolutely getting better. And this whole thing we've got going to add water strategically is, yeah. is, is going to more than double the number of sheep we've got.
0: Well, so- didn't we have and correct me if I'm wrong it could be completely wrong um, didn't we have a unit in years past where there was a die-off the unit had to be closed down chocolates and then it did it come back is it, it reopened that's
1: yeah, a it's a good question Andy so let me just walk you through that so the the chocolate mountains deep south of California mm-hmm. uh, was one of the earliest units that we had there was, uh, there was a die-off in that unit and, uh, and, they, and, they, and it was closed to give them a chance to recover uh, and, and it was unfortunate that they literally closed it we know better now and so the department so in the San Gorgonios for example and actually in every unit today mm-hmm. they have a range of tags that goes from zero to whatever they think the maximum number would be, mm-hmm. and and so in the San Gregonios, they dropped the number for 2019 to zero, but they didn't close Got the it. unit, so it can be reopened at any time with one tag up to with zero. whatever the number of tags are that are in the range, uh, without having to do a whole new environmental impact study, without having to you know go through a whole bunch of hoops to reopen the chocolates is literally like starting from scratch in the San Gabriel's, which we're doing now. Really? Or the way we started from scratch in the Newberry Rodman huh. Now, do we need to do that? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But there's actually higher priority areas yeah. near term than getting the chocolates reopened. But, but that's, there's no reason we can't reopen the chocolates. But it's, a, it's more work Yeah. than the, this new process is much smarter by just limiting the tags back to zero and moving then the tags to zero but doesn't close the unit. Yeah. It doesn't you know, it may close hunting for a year but it doesn't doesn't cancel the fact that it's a hunt unit.
0: Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot that's, of people don't. Yeah, that's kind of I mean it's neat to have learned from the mistake in the past. That's right. And been able to find
1: a new way to rectify that.
0: And we've been and we've
1: been well we we gave the department a whole bunch of data about other states and how they set their tag mm-hmm. quotas. And, and they, they listened, they learned, and uh, the deputy director actually got on the phone to his counterparts in the other states and, and found out that what we were saying was, was, was accurate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's, he's actually using these other state agencies to, to peer review the, the plan, the Big one plan, and, and they're telling him, you know, you're really conservative. Yeah. They, they believe us now. Has anyone gone
0: back to the chocolates to do any surveying there, or is it not, it's kind of off the table? We, and
1: we haven't, uh, no. The simple answer is no. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely sheep there. Yeah. But exactly how many hasn't been surveyed. We we have an agreement now that, that the department will survey units that either have never been surveyed or haven't been surveyed for 20 years on some kind of a you know so every year we get maybe three new units that, that we test mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 I think that's the that's a good plan and and that's department money which is good yeah uh, we weren't afraid we Cal Wild sheep wasn't afraid to spend money to get these surveys done but it's really better if the department the department's meant to do this yeah it's just they can't always seem to get it done so <laughs> so we rather than wait, we go ahead and do it. Why not? I mean, if the
0: money's there and and the manpower's there, you know, I'm sure it assists the department. Excuse me, the department in one way or another. So we talked a little bit about pneumonia, and we kind of talked about how that's definitely spread. You yeah. know, domestic sheep is kind of part of the problem.
1: It's it it's the primary part of the problem. It is. Yeah.
0: And is there any solution for that other than monitoring people's sheep herds getting into Well,
1: there's, there's multiple pieces of it and uh, the I would say the biggest the biggest uh, uncertainty and well, I'll say problem biggest potential problem are hobbyists that have one, two, or ten goats or sheep, just for fun, or to yeah. to keep the property around their house mowed, and and most people you know that are doing that aren't really you know, aren't necessarily really smart about animal husbandry. They're not. They don't really understand everything, uh, and it's it's those animals getting loose. And, uh, and if they're in any kind of proximity so so self self-awareness of, of owners is really important mm-hmm. um, and then you know if they can if they're willing if if they're anywhere adjacent to bighorn sheep habitat it's a problem just it's a ticking time bomb yeah so if you can put double fencing where there just can't be contact that works but does work yeah uh, and and then We've also put a fair bit of energy into, and the department has too, with trying to trade grazing allotments. So if the BLM uh, is is granting a grazing allotment, and, and believe me, they're very attractively priced. So if you're a, a rancher you know, with, with sheep or with cattle and you can get a lease uh, you know, for acres in BLM, it's way cheaper than owning or renting ground mm-hmm. way way cheaper so they like doing it yeah uh, but if we can if we can trade units so that they're not putting them in adjacent to Bighorn space yeah but somewhere else or put cattle in there cattle don't seem to have the same issue with disease transmission um, and so we try to do as much of that as we can so. In an
0: attempt, I, and I want to say, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, in the past, we tried to bring California Rocky Mountain sheep.
1: There was, uh, uh, there have been two transplants uh, of, um, they, they had Rocky Mountain sheep from British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also transplanted some Sierra sheep uh, into the, um, lava beds and the and the uh, oh gosh, is it called the Wheelers? The two northern northern California areas, and uh, and this was back in the in the seventies and eighties. Oh, really? Yeah, they're two different transplants of not desert bighorn, but bighorn. Whether they're California bighorn, I, I don't think they were actually rocky. Oh, okay. But uh, but California big horn are classified as a rocky. You know, you have to be a taxonomic splitter to appreciate. It. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, in neither in both cases it didn't. The trans translocation didn't work, and the belief was that it was it was proximity to domestic sheep that was the problem, and, and they died out. So uh, so while it's been tried. Uh, it, biologists today would say that really wasn't a good idea. That, you know, realizing that there were domestic sheep that were not far away made it senseless to put the the time and the energy and the cost into those yeah. translocations.
0: It's safe to say it would have been done differently nowadays.
1: They And frankly, they, they wouldn't. They either would find some way to get the domestic sheep out, mm-hmm. And then bring in the you know the bighorn, uh, or else just simply you know do it somewhere do it somewhere where you got a better chance of, yeah. of survival.
0: Well, and then you, so you brought up the Sierra,
1: right? So tell me about the Sierra sheep. Uh, well that's actually quite a success story in itself. The uh, the Sierra it's called the Sierra Nevada bighorn. They've given them their own classification. The uh, uh, and their they're very very close to having enough that if they can sustain that population I think it requires seven years uh, they could apply for delisting really and they wouldn't have to be uh, you know a, a, a fully protected animal anymore uh, now different people will tell you you know that they either believe that's doable and others will say they don't think that we'll ever get that to happen. But <laughs> But the, the numbers are there. the uh, the the, uh, the management guidelines were for X number of animals, and I forget exactly. what I think it's like seven hundred, and they needed to be in some number of areas, and and uh, we're within. I think they have no more than no more than two, and maybe only one area that's not really as a fully established to where it's self sustaining, uh, and and the numbers are. I don't know, six fifty or more. So I No mean, oh, wow. pretty high. Yeah. And uh, the one thing they didn't know, the last I talked to them, was they'd, they'd had a lot of snow in the Sierra this, era, this mm-hmm. winter, and they don't know whether they lost sheep because of the the tough winter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They'll know that before long. But uh, but the last, when a, my last contact with the Region Six folks down at Bishop was that that they were they were anxious. To get up and check it out. Yeah. How neat is that? It's cool. And the fact that there's as many, and, and that there's a potential of having them delisted to where, you, you know, potentially even have a hunting season. And the, the lead biologist is kind of interested in in selling a, a tag that can bring more money into the program.
0: Yeah. And I would imagine that's a lot more money because nobody, has anyone ever harvested one ever?
1: Well, not that I'm aware of.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess so. If if Miners probably back in the day. Yeah. You know, so that's... How yeah. about that? Yeah. Now, would cool. that change a slam to five sheep? <laughs> that I mean, is that a, a prob- legitimate
1: question? It's hard to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, here's the Fannin, here's the California, uh, and, and we've had Fannins in Californias for... Lots of years, uh, and they haven't changed the Grand Slam from yeah. four to six. Yeah, that's I, true. I doubt they'll change that. It'll just be uh, a second slam. The uh, if, if you become a taxonomic splitter after you've kind of done chase most of them, you, if you want to chase something new, you need to go to subspecies. <laughs> so. How neat is that? So clearly you've gone to... Well, I, I, I considered myself Andy, a taxonomic lumper, forever. So oh, okay. I never had a lot of value for all the splits. Yeah. But I'm a splitter now because it's fun to go after something I haven't gone after before. Yeah. How was it going after a fanon? I bet with fanon was uh, it was I was in the Yukon and beautiful country. Uh, um. I would say it was more like hunting a stone than it was a doll, but it was still, you know similar. That yeah, was good fun. Nice. Yeah. Pretty country.
0: That's awesome. So do you feel like mountain lions are a threat to the sheep population? And and I don't wanna say that maybe we mismanage mountain lions or anything like that, but with the with the growth in the population of mountain lions in the last yeah. thirty years, roughly thirty years do you feel like they are posing more and more of a threat?
1: Well, they they were uh, mountain lions were a significant problem in the Sierra Nevada recovery. Really. And so much so that that uh, that they had some special dispensation to to thin them out. Now they now they the uh, the current sy- system is they're they're literally trying to collar every lion that they become aware of if they can they can. And, uh, and then if they, they find a, a lion that's killed a sheep, then they have an automatic approval to take that lion. Out. On site. So, so that's progress for the Sierra Nevada bighorn. And, uh, is it perfect? No, because hell, they got to kill a sheep and you got to find them killing a sheep.
0: Yeah. How's that going to happen unless you're... Well, if you've got collared cats, yeah, you know, can you,
1: track them and see if they were there. And yeah, and they do have a, a pretty significant number of collared sheep. Yeah. So they're not doing too bad. Now we've got we do have we do have lion problems in in the desert, in Mojave. They're not really serious. They, they clearly we have lion kills happening, and uh, I don't have a number. Yeah. But I. Uh, I don't think it's a huge deal you know, well I just think it's uh, so interesting I, I to hate to waste any any sheep on on feeding uh, on know, a cat a, a, a cat that's not at the least bit endangered
0: at all uh, well and that's kind of what I wanted to what I was getting at yeah. and you know in a
1: roundabout way I, I think it's crazy that we that we've decided to protect mountain lions yeah but the problem is that that it was done via referendum and now it would take what some monster referendum vote to change it Mm -hmm. in order to rectify the situation and you know there's no
0: major scientific research or data backing up there's absolutely
1: in fact it's the dumbest thing ever to protect an animal
0: (laughs) yeah I was just talking to uh, my buddy out of South San Jose the other week and uh He sent me videos of four cats at a time in front of his house on a trail camera that he has in his neighborhood. And I was speaking with him the other day. He said ten cats in his neighborhood. Ten? Ten. Wow. And they're different cats, and Fish and Wildlife is aware of it. You know, this is like San Jose, outskirts, you know, not... We've had a cat in in the open space back
1: here. I mean, that's... seen more than once.
0: That's just insane to me that that's happening more and more and more and there's still reluctance for a solution you know pretty kitty pretty kitty (laughs) until it kills kitties that's right right. um exactly so california wild sheep foundation actually has some awesome projects going on right now and part of those projects is we touched on the little bit, which is the guzzlers and and what you guys are working towards. and (laughs) What are the goals with the guzzlers? Kind of what's going on with that? Why don't you break that situation down for me?
1: Yeah. So between, what, 1972 and 2017, uh, there were 103 big game guzzlers installed in sheep country. Mm -hmm. Uh, They benefited sheep, but they also benefited mule deer where there was mule deer. And... All kinds of other game, but uh, but the 103 uh, in place, and that water is the most limiting factor to to sheep. We actually have more than enough forage, and we certainly have great escape terrain. Uh, (laughs) The limiting factor is has been water. So so the 103 uh, guzzlers. And there, and there are some natural springs, not near as many as there used to be, as mm-hmm. populations of people have grown, and water springs coming is, out of the ground. That's it's, right, is is less. There's still some yeah. that, that are that are viable, but uh, that's gotten us up to 4,800 sheep, 4,800 desert bighorn, um, and uh, and that's for the state of California. State of California, okay, and uh, we uh, we've identified. 90 strategic sites based on the comprehensive bighorn sheep plan, and, and you know, looking across the, the landscape uh, that we believe would more than double the population of desert bighorn in, in California. Mm-hmm. And so, this is actually the biggest single conservation habitat project I've ever been involved in, and actually the biggest one I've ever seen. Really? Well, I mean, think of the impact of yeah. of adding. It's got potential actually to add over six thousand sheep. Wow! Six, now that doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, but you're talking twenty years down the line. Yeah, or... and uh, and so I'm really excited about it. And uh, we launched it in December 2017. And we've the the Society for Conservation of Bighorn Sheep. Are you aware of them? No. Well, they're they're uh, an affiliate of the. Wild Sheep Foundation, but they're their own you know, entity, 501c3. Uh, they've actually been around longer than the Sheep Foundation. Oh, really? And uh, they're stationed. They're basically most all of their members. I'm a member, but most of their members are in the, you know, in Southern California, and uh, and uh, and they like spending time in the desert. So they they really install these 103, you know, wildlife guzzlers, and. Uh, and so, we're partnering with them, their role is to, is to provide labor and management of hired labor to get the installations done, and we, Cow Wild Sheep, have committed, we'll get the funding to be able to do this, mm-hmm. and, uh, and we've already, we're, we're just a few thousand short of $500,000 collected. That's amazing. Uh, it's going to cost. It's it's going to take you know three to three and a half million to do it all. What's it roughly per guzzler? Uh, the the equipment cost is just over twenty three thousand. Oh wow! For the for the, the tanks, the tread ramps, the, yeah. the hypalon mats, etc. And uh, but labor, it's uh, it's four hundred and forty hours per
0: per one guzzler. Yeah. Wow. And
1: and we don't actually call them guzzlers anymore. Oh okay. The uh, uh, well, the, the, we have a one member of the society uh, uh, created a new design, and and he calls it his rainwater uh, wildlife drinker system, mm-hmm. and it has no moving parts, very efficient in collecting water. Really? Yeah. And uh, and actually, it, you bury the tanks, and it when it's done, it really blends into the Environment much better than the old style, guzzlers. <laughs> yeah, and the tin box. They tended to call the old, you know, the guzzlers guzzlers because they had a, you know, you had a float valve on a drinker thing and, you know, made noise. But yeah, uh, this is a pretty sophisticated system. I could show you pictures. Uh, we've got, we we've gotten three installed so far. We've we've got uh, plans for the next four, uh, and we're anxious as I'll get out to start moving faster that sounds amazing it's it's gonna be exciting now yeah. whether I'll ever draw a tag in California I don't know I'm not gonna count on that yeah but uh, but there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for hunting so, desert big one so as far as states across the nation
0: what state gives out the most tags Nevada and how many tags do they give out uh, like
1: 200 and 283 I think now, don't, I don't I'm not certain about that number I've yeah. seen the number haven't looked at it recently, mm-hmm. but they give out a lot of tags. They're the biggest, and part. we're over here trying to squeeze together thirty-five. If with what we're, if we can get all ninety of these installed, uh, the population will grow. will will be will be pushing Nevada on numbers of sheep. Mm-hmm. I suspect we'll still be more conservative about tags, mm-hmm. but even at the conservative level we're at, it's wow. a, a lot more tags than what we're doing.
0: That's so crazy, and it's so amazing to think that that's even achievable.
1: I'm excited about it, and uh, it's actually a really slick. There's, there's some really cool elements that have enabled us to find these locations. Uh huh. So, aside
0: from rainwater drinkers, right? That's what is coined as a rainwater drinker.
1: Rainwater wildlife.
0: So is it basically based off of collecting rainwater during the winter and then providing hopefully enough water throughout
1: the dry season? Yep. That's sort of the yep. technology behind the, it. It's got two tanks. They're twenty-three hundred gallons each. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> and we we lay out a quite a large hypalon mat. That that uh, I mean you have to do it where there's a slope. Yeah. A little bit of a slope, and we put a berm berm around it and uh and we put rocks so that it doesn't look quite so obvious but uh but it's very very efficient at collecting water very efficient yeah much more efficient than the old style system
0: that's so awesome
1: i like that a lot it's very cool
0: so what else is going on for sheep in the state of california uh I mean, I feel like we just kind of touched on a lot of different things.
1: Well, the different ranges. Just about anything would pale in comparison to this, what we call GALAD, give a lamb a drink, mm-hmm. G A L A D. Yeah. Uh, it, that's such an exciting and such a big project. It's hard for anything else to compete. But we are uh, supporting disease research. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually very proud that uh, Oregon State University has been sending people down and, and conducting research uh, that with, you know, for the department and, and in conjunction with cow sheep. And, and, uh, and they're just doing their final report here shortly. There'll be some other work coming on. Uh, we're, we're doing more, more surveys, more captures and collars. We've got a test going on uh, literally uh, next month. Uh, using the most sophisticated drone technology available to see if we can survey sheep uh, that way, uh, which would be fantastic. Yeah, uh, because it'd be much safer, no human. Much more accurate count, I would assume. Well, too. We, I think I think so because we can do not only uh, multispectral, but uh, but in, you know near infrared. Yeah, which then you'd be able to really pick them
0: out at that point.
1: Yeah, I think so. So, so there's no shortage of stuff going on, and uh, I think the future of wild sheep is really strong. You know, sounds bright worldwide, actually, but uh, certainly in California.
0: Yeah. Well, when they originally transplanted the Sierra bighorn, the Sierra Nevada bighorn, how many did they originally bring? Mm. Unknown.
1: There's data on that, but I don't have it.
0: Yeah. But to hear that it's at six fifty, maybe seven hundred, and,
1: and where the Sierra Nevada are, they weren't transplanted from somewhere else. Yeah, they were native there. Yeah, and they have moved some of them, and then they did actually translocate back in, you know, the seventies and eighties uh, up to, you know, to the, I think it's the Wheelers.
0: In order to bring more herd. Well,
1: at that time they were trying to to get, you know, more areas that were historical sheep habitat populated yeah but again knowing what we know now you need to do you need to take care of the domestic sheep first problem first yeah that's crazy
0: so i guess we'll dive from that into sheep show we talked a little bit about sheep show uh, this year's sheep show i feel like was a great success absolutely there was uh, I, I'm going to say again. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say it was like somewhere in the ballpark, three point five
1: million, that was raised. Um, actually, I think it was a little more than that. Uh, I don't have the the exact numbers. Last year, uh, they raised almost five million. I think it was four point seven. Might total. be thinking that
0: the biggest night was three point five million. Then
1: that could have been too. But anyway, yeah, yeah, they, they they're doing very well, and. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big fun event. The, uh, I, I, it's a great event for people like me, sheep hunters, but it's also a great event for sheep biologists and sheep hunter wannabes. You know, yeah. ultimately want to get to it. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and you know, any kind of alpine hunting enthusiast. And uh, it, it it has a fraternity feel to me. I see a lot of friends yeah. and friends that I've met in different parts of the world, and I've. Met in Sheep Mountains. Yeah, met at the Sheep Show. And well, and that's funny you
0: bring that up too, because I've talked to other sheep hunters <coughs> who meet other sheep hunters. You know, maybe in their professional life, or they'll run into other sheep hunters out in the bush, and there's a certain level of camaraderie that happens. That's right. Because maybe sheep hunters know what sheep hunters go through. And the dedication that it takes to continue to sheep hunt, I guess.
1: I've, I've never... I have I've yet to meet one who was who was selfish with their information or their yeah. time or their advice. There. Not like deer hunters. It, 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 <laughs> well, I think there's a certain amount of truth to that. If yeah. you've got a honey hole or a special spot, it's not usually shared with anybody. But yeah. uh, uh, sheep hunters, it's... Uh,
0: a little bit different, yeah, maybe.
1: Seems different.
0: How cool is that? Uh, so, what are the benefits of the money that come out of Sheep Show? Does that get distributed between different chapters and different areas and all that kind of stuff? Or? Uh,
1: well, the the that hundred and thirty million that I mentioned for the Sheep Wild Sheep Foundation doesn't count the money that that you know, like our chapter, we've raised over two million dollars mm-hmm. in our in our short history and. And lots of other chapters have done that more. Uh, doesn't even count that. Uh, the, the money goes lots of different directions. A, a good bit of it goes back to provinces and states, you know, for directly benefiting their sheep, uh, their wild sheep. Uh, but then there's an endowed uh, chair at Washington State University for disease research for wild sheep. Sheep Foundation. really they endowed that chair so that it's a permanent chair and and so you know research will go on there for perpetuity yeah Uh, they've sponsored uh, you know surveys in various countries Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Mongolia Kazakhstan is currently you know a country that's being being helped Uh, helping with plans you know sheep plans and in various areas uh, there's a comprehensive thin horn plan for the, for the stones and the dolls. There's a comprehensive bighorn plan for the Rockies and the it's deserts. It's pretty elaborate. And well, there's, a, there's a fair few moving parts. And uh, they have excellent biologists on staff. Uh, we have a lobbyist in Washington. Very important. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. So along with a lot of the funds that are raised, you know, and talking about sheep show... At Sheep Show and obviously other dinners of the California Sheep Association dinner that happened in Sacramento. It's always at the double tree, I would assume, right?
1: Uh, well, the last couple years there and it's going to be there next year for sure.
0: Next year. And it's like the first or the second weekend of April for anybody that might want to go.
1: Well, it's generally been the first Saturday in May. Oh, okay. This year, 2019, it moved to April because it just a deal with the hotel was required. But okay. we're back to the first Saturday in May. So it's, oh, that's good to know. it's May 2nd next year.
0: Yeah, because I felt like this year...
1: It was a month earlier.
0: It was, it was earlier, because I knew that the year prior I was doing something and it wasn't schedule conflicting. And I scheduled myself for that same thing this year. And then this sheep dinner came out and I was like,
1: ah, no. So I actually... We were right on top a, of, uh, of a Rocky Mountain elk dinner in Sacramento. Oh, really? It's nice to not, you know, try to avoid that. Yeah. You can't always. The clash. I mean, we're all friends, but. Yeah. We're all at war. You you try to avoid it if you can. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, So, at the dinners or, you know, obviously there's auctions. There's auction tags that go
1: on. Auction tags, raffles.
0: Right. Well, so kind of what I wanted to talk a little bit about is... The governor tag or, you know, the auction tag that went at the California Wild Sheep Dinner in Sacramento. Because um, I feel like there's a lot of misconception. Yep. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, or when I hear about people that are like, oh, that person bought an auction tag. And, you know, I don't understand that. Why would you spend that sort of money on that kind of tag? Or, you know, all the different mm. Gripes that people personally have. And I think a lot of that is due to, uh, I don't want to say maybe misinformation, but lack of information out there about what's really happening with the funds from those tags. You know, and yeah. you look at at Sheep Show this year, the governor's tag for the state of California. I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong or if he knows, roughly $140,000 was the selling price this year. You know and yeah somewhere in there somewhere in there and, and then if you was, look at
1: the year before it was 232 yeah so 000.
0: you know but then you look at the di- at the tag that went at the dinner in California which went ended up going I wanted to say I believe for like 87 thousand um, but that was a different tag you realize it was it was yeah it was it was restricted to it was it restricted to marble slippers yeah th- two or three different sheep units and I don't even
1: think two or three oh okay one.
0: it was it was just one so I mean, anyways, long story short, or what I my point that I'm making is that the funds that come out of those
1: tags go directly back. Well, here's the the system has improved a little bit mm-hmm. for the organizations like ours who have who have merchandised them and and sold them. We now get to keep five percent mm-hmm. for our effort. Yeah, but ninety five percent goes. Goes directly in that case back to the California uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife for desert bighorn, specifically it has for to be that species, for desert bighorn,
0: right? And what is do and you that's know? true in other states and yeah. provinces. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just speaking yeah. to yeah. California because it's where we are. But do you know what? Uh, I mean, a ballpark is budget is for what the state of California operates on for what we're doing or what they're doing for the sheep. My estimate's a million and a half a year. So to get an increase of $200,000 in a year or 100,000 or it's big. An
1: extra $80,000, it goes big. a long way. It's big. And if you if you take a million and a half, the biggest part of that million and a half is personnel cost. Mm-hmm. The the out of pocket that they spend for surveys, collars, captures, you know, some disease Projects, etc., probably isn't more than six hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So, so you start taking, you know, two hundred and ten versus, you know, it's a big chunk. Yeah. Now that the the, uh, the answer is if it's, it's is it a big impact, it's my answer would be yes, but, and the but yeah in California, is that the, you know. We, we actually could use more people focused on Desert Bighorn mm-hmm. and spending time, you know, getting out and about. And, it, and the process to be able to hire a person is altogether different. Yeah. So at the moment, the department actually has more money available to use for sheep than they're using.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So they're not even filling their budget.
1: Well, it depends on how you ask it and who you ask. But, okay. But they'll say that they're using everything they can use. But but the reality is they have a reserve fund that this money goes. It's building and building and building, and they actually have a lot of
0: money. In it. They have a bountiful surplus. They have a bountiful. That's surplus. growing. Every bountiful year. surplus and it's not capped off. I
1: can tell you that people like me. Are very set. we watch that as closely as we can because we don't want it to be siphoned into the general fund. Exactly. Yeah. And there's been risks of that. Yeah. Various governors, which is said, terrifying to me. Said, "Where's this money? Yeah, Let me get right. it."
0: We'll sh-. Exactly. In the early 2000s, I feel like we had a governor that tried to dip into wildlife funds. That I mean, he abruptly got shot down, if I understood it correctly. But we,
1: yeah one of the very first things we did uh, in when we started Calwell Cheap was we asked for an accounting mm-hmm. uh, from the department about money. Well, oh my god. <laughs> you you could guess the reactions we got at first was, you know, who are you to ask that? And you know, but the reality was we had every right to ask the taxpayers. And we and we we kept the we kept the pressure on and and when they, when they actually finally came clean, it was obvious they weren't managing it well at all. Really? Well, they've managed it a lot better since. What, I mean... Uh, because we paid attention.
0: Well, see, and, and how important is it to have somebody that's paying attention to government programs that... And it doesn't sound like maybe they were spending the money maliciously or anything like no. that. They just weren't managing the wildlife to the best
1: possible... Ability I, that they could. It's not my point to yeah. to trash the department, and There's I don't good, think you are. People there, and I, and uh, and thank God that you know the, the, literally hunter and fisher money funds the ability for a, for a, each state to have a department to manage the wildlife. Yeah. Thank God. Yeah. And We have the Pitt and Robinson Act and the Dingle Johnson Act that that put taxes on everything we use. Your Kuyu shorts, it was yeah. money went, you know, went into the Pittman-Robertson Act but ultimately come back to the States. Yeah. Uh, and thank God. And go,
0: and that's, so for me that's a, a big reason when I switched over, I was a avid Cabela's, wear everything Cabela's, you know, up until I got introduced into Kuyu. And uh, my biggest, one of my biggest reasons in backing a local homegrown California company um, I mean, obviously they didn't start out in California, but they're in California now and it's... They did. Oh, I thought... They did. They were based out of Montana for a little bit, but maybe I'm incorrect.
1: Um, uh, well, you might be thinking that, uh, Sitka, mm-hmm. which Jason and, uh, the name of the other person's escapes me, but there were two, of you know, yeah. Jason and one other started Sitka and that was actually started in Napa, <laughs> and uh, and then later. So wait,
0: Secco originally started in California. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and California. Uh, and then it was acquired by W. L. Gore, mm-hmm. uh, which is headquartered in Newark, Delaware. Yeah. Um, and uh, and there's a whole bunch of story around that, but but. Uh, Jason was uh, extricated himself. Didn't yeah. have a non-compete. And started you Yeah, yeah. So. And that was started in Dixon. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know where my
0: where Bozeman came in in that play. I think Sitka has moved to Bozeman. Maybe that's where my confusion came. Yeah, in. they're not
1: they're not NEP anymore. Yeah, but they were. That's where they started.
0: So for me, when I came to my decision that Kuyu was the company that I wanted to use all of their gear and and uh, i'm a i'm an extreme loyalist (laughs) to the gear companies that i choose to use Um, for me not only was it the best gear that i had put on but it was also in my backyard and i know that my tax dollars went back into my immediate community And that was kind of, you know, that helped me come to my decision on the, on the gear that I was choosing to I consider Jason. My
1: shorts that I'm wearing. I consider Jason a friend. I'm still terribly sad about his death.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, auction tags do
1: definitely help out. They, Going back full circle. The yeah, back they're corner. they're a good thing, and and uh, you know, can all of us participate in? No, mm-hmm. okay, it's a you know it's a significant money game, but uh, but it's got a real benefit to all of us yeah. because the money goes back into the state or the province to to help that species, and and to me that's really worthwhile. And helps bring the sheep population the sheep tags from.
0: Even though a unit closed this year, we went up ten tags. Yeah. If I understood you correctly. That's right. To the so most we've ever had. So we went up to the most tags we've ever 29. had. And part of that benefit comes out of people that have spent money on sure. governor's tags and you know, things of that nature. Yeah. Um so what do you think is one of the biggest things lacking in wildlife conservation today?
1: to me i think it's it's hunters that are articulate uh, patient <laughs> and able and willing to to effectively share a message with that huge middle of the population that mm-hmm don't know but, but are you know somewhat agnostic willing to be, you know willing to listen or willing to believe and uh, we don't have enough of those. The, mm-hmm. the general nature of hunters is to be a little private and quiet and yeah. unfortunately we, we can't afford now that doesn't mean I expect every single person yeah. to become a spokesperson but we've got to identify the people that can and help them do that. And, and for me, we need more women mm-hmm. and children because I think they can do more for us than,
0: yeah. than men. Well, so. and I can, I can say in the state of California teaching hunter's education here in the mm-hmm. Bay Area, I see more adults coming through hunter's education mm, good. than I do children. You
1: know, and and I'll uh, take any new hunters absolutely. that we can get. Absolutely, I, I absolutely you know want more, and and I I would also the other thing I would add to what I said about you know hunters that are articulate and and can can really speak. They've got to use science and emotion. Mm-hmm. We've used the science card always, and I'm glad we have the science on our side. Absolutely delighted, and I don't want to lose that, but. The anti's have been using emotion against us, and science doesn't trump emotion. We've got to use emotion too. Mm -hmm. And so, if you hear me talking to people trying to raise money about Galad, uh, I'm going to show you a picture of cute little lambs jumping around (laughs) in the desert. Come on, I mean.
0: (laughs) And that's got to be the. I mean, that's funny you say, because behind my house there's a bunch of sheep. You know, thousands of sheep and. In the spring, when they all have their their baby sheep, yep. I actually I like to go. There's a spot, a hill, that yeah. I can go park on the top of it and overlook all of the town that I live in. But on either side of me is the most sheep you'll ever see. And it's so funny and interesting to watch all the newborn sheep those little lambs are like they have springs in their legs. Yeah. And it's, they're just so like, it's so insane
1: how much pep they have in their step. We, we, uh, we had 50 head of ewes when I was growing up and we would, lamb, you know, they would lamb in the spring. It was a great thing to bring uh, potential girlfriends out to see a little lamb. Oh, I bet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fall in love on the spot. Absolutely. <laughs> right on. So this is kind of where we have a little bit of fun in the podcast. Um, it's always it's, it's an interesting question um, it's the dead eye question we are partnered with a company called Dead Eye Outfitters, Dead Eye Apparel they make t-shirts, socks hats uh, everyday lifestyle apparel instead of you know hunting gear or doing outfitted and guided hunts because they, they outfit in the sense of They're outfitting your clothing. Okay. In everyday life. Uh, So instead of coming up with a silly joke question for you, my question for you would be, how many sheep and goats do you have all together here? 45. 45? Reliving any of these hunts, which hunt is your most memorable to, to relive?
1: Wow. I don't know if I could just pick one. <laughs> they all have their own badge? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, blue sheep is from Nepal and that's another one that I was over 18,000 feet. To get it and I can and uh, and we were climbing toward them, and and it was so doggone steep that that while I you know had toe holds, you know my chest wasn't more than that far away. From, you know my feet are down here, but it's that bloody steep. That, yeah. You know. Well, the
0: mountains a foot away from your chest.
1: Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and and we were we were trying to get over where we thought that we could get to the top, and they'd be right there, but they. Came back and and so they they made us and I'm I'm on this precarious position and and they you know you know I'm busted had, I'm busted and they, they take off and they they're kind of coming around anyway I, I was able to get a shot and luckily enough but oh I just panicked I did I really damn look oh shit <laughs> <laughs> Game time. Yeah, for sure. What year was that? Uh just a couple of years ago. Uh, it was twenty sixteen.
0: Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. You've you've led uh, in business and in, in your hunting career, you have led a life that people like me dream of. And uh, I can appreciate at looking at everything that you've amounted here, you know, and... and They're all memories. They're all special memories. And I totally, I can relate to that 100%. And uh, I hope that I can achieve half of this level of success that you've... Yeah, you're still a young man. You I am. <laughs> right? Get I hope there. I can keep doing it for another 10 years. We'll see. You got it in you, I think hope so absolutely absolutely do you have any concluding thoughts before we wrap up the podcast
1: well if, if uh if, if people have hung with us all the way to here they have thank you for sure uh thank you for doing that and i hope hope to get a chance to you know to, to see you and meet you at the uh at the may 2nd cow wild sheep big event uh, or the sheep show in january i'll be at both and then how could anybody look up California Wild Sheep Association? C-A-W-S-F dot org. Okay. And the Wild Sheep Foundation is Wild Sheep Foundation one word, dot org. Awesome.
0: Right on. Well, thank you very much. You know, and I look forward to becoming a member of the Wild Sheep Foundation. And, Good. you know, hope to get my lifetime membership here shortly. And, you know, and okay. same with California and supporting our own state and our own chapter and, I appreciate all the hard work and the, the lifetime of energy that you've put into it. And uh, I'm sure any future sheep hunter out of the state of California or someone that gets drawn appreciates it as well. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for tuning in to the show, folks. If you'd like to check us out online, our website is www.theflipflopguide.co.com you can find out all the information you need to have your own flip-flop in your own backyard. We encourage this and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Access Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at theflipflopguy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to smash that subscribe button.